0: Welcome back to The Bunker.
1: It's uh, awesome to be back. It's Hello. Been, it's been a
0: long time. This is going to be season one of, I mean, episode one of season three. Season three. Nice. And, uh... Okay. Yeah. It's we're, it's time to get crazy. So, so uh, I'm joined uh, this week by the world's most powerful ginger. <laughs> Beth Harper O'Brien. And my longest compadre.
2: Hello,
1: TJ Miller, AKA Ted Lucius. This thing is. (laughs) I mean, I am really excited for this episode.
0: This has been a long time coming. Uh, Yeah, this is this is. I'm more excited about this interview than than I've been about any interview in a long time, and because it's just it brings together elements of our childhood and stories that we even held dear to our cells for a long 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 time many years and uh and high strangeness psychic phenomena uh, possible crazy government conspiracy i don't know what the hell we're even gonna be i don't to know, know
1: what just i just, <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: so our, the starting point for us was we grew up reading carlos Castaneda and his books uh about don juan and sorcery and uh uh awareness and uh you know
1: started our own party of sorcerers
0: really started we, like really looked at the world in, we met the darkness in the way that like we went out into the middle of nowhere and in, in dark complete darkness to just face like whatever the hell was out there mm-hmm. because of the stuff we read in this book that like, we did shit like that and these and and <laughs> it's not just us i mean there's loads of like the eagles wrote countless songs about like stuff in these books um all these bands uh teachers, professors,
1: uh, philosophers. All yeah, the read. influence, uh, Castaneda had on the culture was... Phenomenal. It was sick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Reading, like, the
0: posts, you know, right into the 60s, basically. That right. momentum just kind of caught that wave and just mm-hmm. went with, you know, yeah. wrote these stories. And then now there's all kinds of controversy about whether he was legitimate or not, whether this guy, Don Juan, existed, whether any of these experiences or any of these things really happened. There's all these holes in the story. Right. Um and you had pointed out the the trickster podcast to me that it was about so good this the, the the you know it's literally called the trickster the many lies of carlos casaneda and it goes into in depth calling people and reaching out to people that knew him dealt with him that had interactions with him and and really investigated his his story and found tons of holes in the in the tale
1: yeah and that was that was to me we did the uh Everybody's, we have we do uh, the Path Faction, which is our other podcast, we're mainly just talking about philosophy and stuff. And so we're talking about like the problem with gurus, like anybody like Castaneda, who yeah. you give that much power and you just accept what they say, you know? Because yeah, the Trickster is a great podcast if people get a chance to listen to it. Oh, it's phenomenal, mm-hmm.
0: phenomenal. One of, it's, it's it's one of the best. And so we come across this podcast and we're listening to this, and it's going into all you know the talking to people that spoke to Castaneda and dealt with him and, you know, all these people that had interactions with him and stuff. And, you know, within that story is this story of this Italian director, Federico Fellini, who read Castaneda's work as well and wanted to make a movie out of that first book. Ended up meeting with Castaneda in Rome. Uh, Immediately after that, this director, Fellini, starts experiencing weird... Activity getting strange phone calls from strangers telling him to do things to Expect things starts predicting things starts telling him like super intimate details (laughs) about his life that like he's told no one else Mm -hmm. Really crazy stuff starts happening
1: That's why I think it's so weird like from what I've learned at this point I think Castaneda was full of it in a ton of ways and it's just <laughs> yes. straight-up cult behavior, like, making, like, these women he was, like, sleeping with, like, erase their personal history, you know, get rid of all their other stuff. So don't believe that the Don Juan thing happened the way he said at all. Yeah. But yeah. weird stuff was still happening. Like, weird stuff happened with us after reading his books. <laughs> Definitely altered yes. your consciousness. Like, the stuff he wrote
2: was right. powerful. Yeah. But did it happen, like you said, because he planted this and he messed with people's minds, and then he already put it in your head as a placebo effect?
1: Well, I think that's the thing too. Like you know, we were talking about it on our podcast, like you know, like yeah. like Bruce Lee, like had a great philosophy, but it wasn't like even if he turned out to be a total dirtbag, it was just a philosophy. The thing with Castaneda is everything is wrapped up with this idea that he went and lived with this Yaki Indian shaman. Yeah. So when that falls apart, it kind of throws all of it. You know, like everything's a question, right? Mm.
0: Everything's a question, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah. And and so, but you t- but you touched
0: on a very important point, and that's while we're all sitting here right now, is that weird stuff still continued to happen, right, around this director, around Castaneda, people that Castaneda dealt with, other professors and so forth, had weird synchronicities and these weird experiences around this guy. So, so now we, we're going back and forth, you know, because we, we're first thinking, oh, my God, this guy is amazing, and we followed his philosophy, and then it's like, and then all of a sudden we find all these holes in the story, and now we're like, oh, my God, so we jump to this guy's full of shit. This is all crap. What the hell do we do with this? Right. This is stuff we've been, like, reading and, like, <laughs> following in our head, you know, for years. Yeah. yeah But then you go back to, okay, well, yeah, but weird things were still happening. This director reaches out to this guy, just agrees to work together with him on a project, and all of a sudden weird things start happening to him. And, you know, and, and so in the midst of all this is this director cross paths with this American model, actress, who was living in L.A., makes contact with her. She starts getting these weird messages from whatever these CIA beings, whatever the hell, I don't know, I don't know, whoever, <laughs> like these weird voices seem to know everything about everybody. Starts contacting her and it was on this podcast that we heard her story because she had she wrote a book about this experience. I got the book, ordered the book, I got it, read through it, filled it with notes and stuff. Uh, I tracked her down, Christina Engelhart, in in the book. I reached out, sent her an email, and she answered the email. And I was like, you know, and I explained her situation. And we we were, you know followed for years and ran across the trickster and then that brought us to you and so like you know would you be willing to come on and talk about it and she said yeah
2: absolutely Hmm, so interesting yeah
0: yeah so she christina herself will be calling in any moment and uh and it's gonna be telling her story and you know i'm glad you're here beth because christina was you know her grandmother taught her from a very early age how to how to do readings and started to teach her about astrology and how the planets work and energy and all this kind of stuff at a super young age and so grew up giving readings to like all the neighborhood people and so it was kind of already psychically you know involved in this sort of thing, you know the thing you do yeah um pretty early on and uh and i'm just wondering is, is that the connection because throughout this story this like voice whoever these beings are were like compelling her to stay you have to stay with the green one you know they, they all had colors because for some, whatever reason maybe she'll explain
1: but it's like a reservoir Dogs thing
2: yeah yeah
0: that's what i thought <laughs> and uh yeah and but they were instructing like you have to stay with fellini you have to stay with him and, and make sure he accomplishes whatever they had in store for him i don't know it
2: it's I've, super, yeah, I've super never weird. experienced that, so I'm not sure I understand it. Or, like, I've never, you know, someone's never contacted me and say, "You have to do this. You got to go there. You got like I haven't. I've never experienced that, so I'm not sure. I think it's if you know if this is all true, and I'm not saying it's not, but maybe it is from a higher being. Like, there's all these different realms and universes, and yeah. you know, UFOs and all kinds of things. So. Maybe she was getting contact from a higher being. Then it's, that goes higher than what I deal with, the spiritual realm. Could be higher yeah, than that. I'm,
0: I mean, that's what I'm thinking, because when you hear the details of some of these interactions they had with this voice, it was, like I was saying before we started recording, this voice was telling them intimate details about each of them, like things they were thinking about, like they hadn't even to mm. other people about. Like, things yeah. were going on in the room at that moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, interacting with them like, oh, this person needs money to get to here. And it's like, the money just appears. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it seemed intrusive to the level, like, beyond, I think, what the CIA would be capable of at
1: that point. I yeah. think. Well, even even that, like I said, you know, I said to you before we started, like, why, why would the CIA give a... Sh- care <laughs> you know like they're like yeah. we're gonna mess with this director
0: guy yeah. on total yeah. valid point valid point I, I was just thinking it was the, <laughs> this was around the same time like yeah, in the yeah. 70s when they were messing around with mind control and like maybe they were just testing yeah, maybe. theory I don't know <laughs> I don't know but it, I was really on the CIA thing for a while reading the book but then like something just so insane would get thrown in there and it's like I, like to the point of being supernatural to the extreme and it's like ah uh, now I'm like I'm you know, like now I'm thinking of what you're thinking oh like who
1: yeah it's oh, also like, if you think about it, it too me. like a lot of this stuff like and not that the government is smart but just let people talk like if if there's actually <laughs> UFOs and stuff and people have seen them just let people talk about it because it brings me think they're crazy yeah. yeah you don't need to do anything <laughs> to quash this story mm. in fact if you try to do stuff to squash the story it makes the story keep going like if you just let the yeah. people come out and mm. talk like yeah you know there's there's no need to There she is do stuff. Oh my goodness. California? Uh oh. Do
2: you want me to answer is. it?
1: We should probably answer you. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Christina. Hello, Michael. Yes. Uh, hi, how are you? Call me back when you're
2: ready or... We're ready.
0: We're ready to go right now. Very good.
3: I'm just trying to clear my voice. La 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 la. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> I wanna have a good clear diction.
0: Excellent. You sound great. Hello. Oh, Hi. So, Christina, we're, we're joined by um, my uh, teammate, love of my life, Beth, the world's most powerful ginger. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> I mean, I
2: don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. Hello. How are you? Very well. And your name is Ginger. <laughs> Beth. My name is Beth. I have red hair, so he calls me Ginger. Oh yes. yes. <laughs> Hello, Beth.
0: Hello. Christina here. Hello, Michael. Hi. How are you, so Christina? At, at beautiful trine of powerful energy right
2: now the three of us Oh, well, there's
0: one more, one more? There's, there's another one here yeah my... oh hello hello hi yeah we're joined by my friend hi. we're joined also by my friend tj who uh, w- along with me he he's the one who introduced me to carlos castaneda and so we grew up reading all these stories and so you know that's why he's here because he's intimately connected to that part of the story as far as you know my uh
2: well, Part of the tale. He's your childhood friend forever, too. Yeah,
0: yeah a long time,
1: yeah. So,
0: so I, think, I think, Christine, I know your time's limited, so I want to just jump right into it. So, sure. So let's, let's start with like your origin story and how you... Because I'm, I'm interested in the psychic angle to this and the psychic phenomena, the paranormal activity, however you want to describe that, and your introduction to that and how that sort of transitioned you and brought you into this sort of crazy tale.
3: Yes, yes. So with no further ado, my name is Bobby Christina Engelhardt, and my parents are immigrants from Germany, and we go back to visit regularly. And I knew since a child that my mother's mother, grandmother, was doing cards and tarot, and my mother would always rave about her mother that during the war, when nobody knew whose husband would come home, or where the next food or meal would come and she would do tarot cards just to help ends meet get food on the table. But it was a gift that she learned from her grandmother and that grandmother learned from her grandmother and it was the first granddaughter that was how it sequenced. So when I visited and I saw the cards out, I now mind you, this is not the classical tarot deck writer's way that we eat with the 78 cards. It was just the playing cards and it was certain specific cards but it was a 24 card spread and but there she was laying in it and giving my mother reading and I was drawn to it as early as I can remember and I said I want to know I want to know and of course you're too young come back in a few years you're the one I'm supposed to be teaching said my grandmother but not yet and then upon the next year Now I'm about six years on the following trip. I come back and I want to know, I want to know. And just out of pestering, she finally said, okay, here's your lesson. This, 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 this. And then five minutes, she just rambled through all the cards. And I looked and my brain went boom, 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 like the kinetic. And I started seeing the images just from her sureness of the symbols. And then from that moment on, I just found everybody I could read for, everyone, and I just tried that over. And then by the time I was 10, I got my first tarot deck and I was reading, and I never thought I was to charge or make a business. I just thought, this is my gift. I'm gonna do this forever. And I always envisioned myself as a sweet little old lady, uh, you know, being able to do that till literally my last living breath. I just felt this was such a natural talent by the age of 15, I immersed myself into astrology. By 20, I was already doing sidereal astrology, um, which is also Vedic astrology and tropical astrology and knowing the houses, the asteroids. And it was, for me, a full-fledged indoctrination of this is my path. You know, I come from a lineage of mediums and and I did a 23andMe and I had Egyptian in me. So And some Neanderthals. So yes, I go way back. So nothing surprises our uh, authenticity. And I just felt, oh, no wonder that I'm picking up on certain energies and why I'm attracted to certain pyramids and certain things. And, um, And of course, my studies took me into not just all the metaphysical arts, but theology. I needed then to study religion. Because I found that when you do readings for people, you have to, to truly do a reading properly, you have to also know their customs, their rules, their laws, and you have to show respect. Because uh, not that you know two different nationalities will think or feel different, but their customs. Because truly, to honor someone's customs and traditions, they all—all all of those traditions have an authenticity, uh, uh, an ori- origin where it was about. You know, finding divinity in your ancestors and the lineage. Then by the age of, um, then also in my teenage years, I met a psychic in New York, Jerry DeMarlo, who was like a psychic mama. She was just wonderful. Now she knew astrology and I was very good at the cards. So we made an exchange. She taught me more in astrology. I showed her what I knew on tarot. And then we were friends, um, it just kept going, and in her many, many readings for me, Jerry um, would you know predict that this and that would happen, and everything she said over always happened. So I already thought, okay, this is my psychic. You know, she just was so important for me. Until one day, she looks at my chart, she looks at my cards, and says, "That's enough. You got to get out of New York. Leave." <laughs> And I mean, she said this in a very forceful way, get out. You're supposed to go to Los Angeles, be there by October 20th. You will meet a very famous Italian director. You're going to travel to Rome. You're going to hear voices from outer space. Get out. Now, (laughs) backtrack a little bit. Since she had never been wrong, and I kept thinking to myself, Rome, Rome, Italian. I knew Spanish. Uh, I I had friends from Spain and I thought well you know I possibly would go there but no she was very very distinct now um, in our friendship and as I said I, I treated her like a psychic mama we always knew in our conversations between her because I could tell her things that I really couldn't tell anyone else about my sensitivity my as a child I would stare at things and I truly believed that I could move things but of course you know Later on, as you're an adult, those are called childish things and child imagination, but I had a super visit, and one of the things I always felt that I was watched by some kind of invisible eye, and I always felt that just in any dark alley, and it wasn't like a boogeyman or a monster, it was some higher being. I always felt that, and I also connect with angels. My last name is Angel Heart. So I just felt the presence, and that is probably why I was so deeply involved and wanted to know about theology, because you know in in Christianity and certain religions, there's in, in Judaism there's these great angels that come as messengers. So, and a lot of religions, can you know use the word as messengers, messengers, angelic messengers, and to this day we don't even know who created the pyramids and and how the. Exact due north, the pyramid points are, and the mathematical things. So, since that was always my interest, I always thought that was definitely an outside um, ability. And remind you, remind to remind myself and to you, anyone that when you're an astrologer and an astronomer, and you look up at the stars and you pay any attention to science, there's not a doubt in my mind in the unlimited amount of stars of galaxies. Um, Milky Ways throughout, you know, the heavens infinite, there has to be a possibility of Earth. And there has to be far more intelligence than here on Earth because we're still doing very primitive things with all our great science. So those are always the, the contradictions I had about being here on Earth, knowing uh, great people to do great things, and then other people to still do very negative things. And so that was the, the element that I had wished for something Greater to come by and that was always something that when I felt that you know something watching I would actually feel it was either and never a negative or a devil I'd always feel it'd be something on a higher source that I could communicate with so that's just a little backstory so lo and behold and Jerry DeMarla told me this this is 1984 it was September of 1984 and she said head out and I knew the following year would be the harmonic harmonic conversion so i just felt like okay this is time to shift and change jerry says i have to go to la i gave up my apartment loaded bought a car loaded it up with my some essentials drove straight through to los angeles i had been there a few times now on another note you know i was because i have a big personality i was already modeling and acting i was the right height i had a certain look and I already had a big life by the time I was fifteen or sixteen, just with a certain amount of celebrities that I was very close with. And there we are, there I am. You know, now I'm in 1984. I'm 23, so I already had this big life in New York City and traveled the world. But okay, we're going to Los Angeles. I'm driving, and as soon as I get to LA, I I just stop the car and and. Uh, friend drive with me and he says oh christina you can't park here it says do not park but i pulled into space number 13 and i said yeah but nobody has this apartment and my friend looked at me like oh okay as we stepped out of the car i a car i heard someone yell across the friends hey lady you can't park there and then lo and behold i yelled out well nobody has apartment 13 and the guy says yeah that's right i said i'll take it instantly I got an apartment, and it was a furnished apartment. I was like, boy, I'm on a roll. And literally, coming to Los Angeles, things were falling into place. It was quite unique. Now comes January 20th. So now six or eight weeks later, you know, I came in preparation. And I had a friend stay with me because she didn't want to be alone. And I said, fine. And she said, oh, you want to go out to lunch? You want to do this? I said, no, no, today's October 20th i don't know what to do but I'm, I'm going to stand by the phone i don't know what i'm waiting for and i thought maybe i should go out to lunch with her and i said no when you don't know what to do stop and think and just like be lo and behold the phone rings around 6:30 in the evening so i waited all day and it was a girl that i knew she and her and i had a fallout i trusted her and she broke the trust it was very disappointing but She calls me out of the blue and says, you don't like me and I don't like you, but I have a dinner with an Italian director and I can't go alone. And I called everyone and you're at the bottom of my shit list and I'm desperate to go, but I can't go alone. Those are requirements. Then would you go? Now, normally I would have said the big F word and hung up on her, but she didn't know that I was there. So I said, yes, I'll show up. Well, a car, give me your address, and a car will come pick you up. And lo and behold, a limo comes, picks me up uh, an hour and a half later. I get down, I get into the car, and there she is, Sybil. We'll call her Sybil. (laughs) And this entourage of men. And hello, 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 and I'm Federico Fellini. So, oh, my, Mr. Fellini, I love your movies. Oh, what an honor. So now we're driving to a restaurant, Trader Vic's, which now no longer there and, but Trader Vic's was a very famous restaurant for many years so we sat and down and with this table of eight and we're all eating food and Sybil says oh Mr. Fellini, so Christina she, you know, she does Terran astrology and he said oh I like that oh well you know I'm spiritual and she opens up her purse and says see I'm spiritual because I have a crystal so I open my purse and I pull out a crystal and she opens her purse pulls out another crystal I put my purse and I hand out everybody at the table. <laughs> I,
2: said,
3: I mean, Fellini's laughing. This is a, a blue scene right here. I said, "Okay, we're all spiritual. We all live a crystal," and um, and so the evening was one of those tête-à-tête with Sybil. And so the evening's coming to you know an end. We finish our dinner, and I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, I left New York for a dinner. Okay, yes." So I, as, as we're getting back into the car, I said to the entourage and Mr. Fellini, I said, uh, can I invite you all up to my apartment? I have a slideshow of the world. It takes some very unique photos I'd love to invite you. And um, Federico said, yeah, sure. You know, he brings his entourage. Of course, Sybil, the dancer, she was a dancer, says, no, I, I, I'm too busy. I have to be at the ballet in the morning. Okay. So she went off. And so now I have Fellini's entourage and, you know, I turn on my projector and I'm flashing against the wall, large sizes of images from Hawaii, where I've been all around the world as a photographer. Now I'm showing pictures of Tulum, Chichen Itza, Uxmal, Uxmal, and, you know, just the whole Cancun Peninsula. But when I come to the the Mayan um, architects, especially of Tulum and Chichen Itza, Federico so looks at me and he goes, oh, You know, do you know? Did they call you? Did they tell you? Do you hear the voices? Oh my God. And I'm thinking, mm, Okay, I don't know your voices. I hear my own. I wasn't quite sure. And okay, thank you very much. Beautiful slideshow. And they leave. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, I give up everything for a dinner and a slideshow, and they're gone. Director on this stage, so I stayed up all night throwing my ruins, my I Ching, my coins—you know, anything and every metaphysical art I had—and just wrote pages all night long. Now it's crack of dawn, and I'm thinking I have to give him this. But what hotel was he staying at? I have no idea. So I think I'm going to have to call every hotel. And, and as you know, most celebrities don't leave their first name. Right. All right, yep. fine. First hotel I called. <clears throat> there. I got it in the first try, which was the Hilton. And maybe, maybe in the back of my mind is we ate at Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's, Trader Vicks. We had our dinner at Trader Vicks, which is near the Hilton. I don't know. I took the first shot and yes, Mr. Fellini is here. Great. I didn't need to know his room number. I threw a jogging suit on. I drove to the hotel and I stand at the concierge in line with my little manila envelope but pages and pages of notes and little things I just didn't know what to do so as I'm standing in line it's like 6:45 or 7 in the morning and as I'm standing there's a few people in line I'm kind of just with my eyes half closed the person in front of me turns around grabs me by the shoulders and starts shaking me and I'm like I look up and it's Philippe and I say uh Mr. Fellini, oh my God, hello, he said, and he pulls me aside, we have to talk, he goes, what are you doing here, I said, well, I came to give this to you, and he said, so they called you, they told you, they told you, the voices, I said, "I, I don't know about your voices, but I just had to give this package to you, and he said, come with me, we're going up to my room, and there his entourage is waiting, and then he sits me down, he said, the voices told me that I should be exactly at. 659 standing at the concierge and the chosen one would be there and it's you so you're coming with us and i said whoa 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 wait, we're coming with Wait, what's going on and then lo and behold the phone rings and then he picks it and i can see him as he picks up the phone he starts staggering and he's repeating what he's hearing yes she's the one yes next part of the journey is to begin and then he kind of staggers and hangs up and he says the voices have confirmed and I said okay now you got to tell me what's going on (laughs) and then he says we we we're here in Los Angeles I want to do a project on Carlos Castaneda I have been contacting him back and forth we've been trying to meet we met years ago in Rome for a brief moment I have an idea to do a movie on his books I'm not sure. I'm feeling this, but I want to meet him. I want to see what's, you know, what's going on. But the minute that I started planning to meet Carlos, the phone starts ringing, this strange voice. It's reading my mind and telling me what to do. And I don't like it at all. He says, and, but it's too freaky and too strange. And so Lake last night said that someone from my entourage Must have a dancer. Knows a dancer. Have their dancer come, but must not come alone and bring a woman, a female. And of course, Sybil is a dancer. She she wanted to have dinner with uh, Mr. Fellini, terribly so. I mean, who wouldn't? But the requirements were: you must not come alone. Must bring a woman. There was no age requirement. There was no, no. There was other than a female being, and it was me. And now. The voices are telling to the to Fellini that I'm at the moment the chosen one for this next voyage. So Man. of course I said, well I've read all of Castaneda's books. Oh I love Castaneda This is this is amazing. This is now and i and I kept thinking this I, I I didn't quite understand what this voice was. And so as we discussed and now I'm going back to my my home, my apartment to pack and get ready because I was definitely up for going to, to meet Castaneda and when I get back, Federico calls and says I'm having problems, you know, we promised someone else so uh, Sybil to come on the trip and everybody's fighting so um, I'm sorry, um, when we come back in a few days we'll meet up again so I was like, oh, oh wow. All right, that's a bummer. Wow, that was strange. Then my phone rings again, and it's the voices. And now I'm hearing them. A metallic voice. I felt like I was in a walkie-talkie. And as I'm holding the phone, I began trembling, shaking, sweating. I mean, I felt something like I've never felt before with this connection. In a high, in a strange metallic voice, they said, you have to go, you have to find a way, you must be there. So that's when I said, all right, I'm going to drive to Tulum and I loaded my car and I drove. I knew they were flying the next day. I got a head start on the road and just drove nonstop, stopped in the car, stopped for gas, drank bottled water or whatever I could find at a gas station and went there because i had been there several years before i had some acclimation of where some of the hotels were because i enjoyed going there through my photo shoots lo and behold i reconnect with them now everybody's impressed like wait a minute how did you get here and then we continued to do the ghost this goose chase trying to get castaneda when we finally meet up with him through this tour through the jungle you know, we tell him about these voices. We tell him, why is he doing this? he was sure was custody of playing a prank. And he turned white as a ghost and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not doing anything. And he literally disappears, never to be seen again. So of course they're flying back, I drive back. And then within three days we'll all re- re- meet again in Los Angeles because the voices had not stopped calling and they said that they had nothing to do with Carlos Castaneda. That was not who we were to follow, that they were something much different um, and that they had an assignment, a message, and a project they wanted Federico to do. And we assumed it was a movie because, you know, greatest director, ideas for a movie, and then the voices gave us all, instead of names, they gave us colors. Federico was the green one. Andrea Carlo was the blue one. Maurizio Grimaldi was the yellow one. I was the pink one. Um, Tullio Pinelli was the violet one. Um, Filippo was the white one. And so we were all given these colors. And we were all told to buy musical instruments, which we did. And then we were told to meet up in the hotel room at midnight and we would be receiving some information of course we're in the room making all kinds of noises on our guitars and synthesizers that we we bought and lo and behold we're just making a ruckus and it was almost too funny but I kept saying to the group I don't think it's about us really playing a song or, or making a sound I think what they're trying to say is that sounds on the instrument and us being colors that if we only learn see i think we were very primitive i think these voices which we asked them what have we called them and they said that we should call them you i don't know if it was the letter u or y-o-u but you and so i thought oh you're yeah, very much like when you say thank you bless you i felt that that the you was important because when they contact us they needed us for that energy because it was very draining to receive any um, connection with them and they used the telephone so i just thought it's once again back to the music night i thought this is not working but we're not getting the picture we're actually trying to make something when it's much simpler we're supposed to we should have been, been learning what each like the color blue, what note is that? The color pink, the color green. I think if we would have done that, we would have actually maybe had some success. But we were all giddy and, you know, exhausted from the journey. And uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're still confused. And I think I was the one who was trying to find always the metaphysical angle to it. And then, lo and behold, those phone calls from the voices soon as I get back home they're calling they're calling three four times a day me particularly me and telling me what to do and what not to be afraid of and I just listened because I was so in awe and shock and also that that vibrational sensation I had and I truly thought these guys must be from outer space because that's how they talk they they never came across that they were in this physical presence and by the way they would read my mind. That was to me why I thought this can't be custodiated because I would be in my room by myself thinking something and they would call and answer my thoughts. And this went on, by the way, for, for the rest of the year. And for me, of course, returned back to Rome and we are now calling each other regularly because the voices are calling to tell me to tell him this and for him to do that. And then I just said, I'm coming to Rome because that's what they wanted. The voices wanted me to be near him for some reason. They used me, between Federico and myself and Tulio, we got the most phone calls and were given the most information. And of course, Andrea and Maurizio, they all thought that this was all Carlos Castaneda. And other people to this day thought it was Castaneda on some level, tricking us, being tricksters, and it could have been. but that would make Carlos Castaneda far too powerful because what the voices were showing me was truly unexplainable. I mean, they would tell me not to do something. And in that moment, that object would disappear right in front of my eyes or things would move across the room. And I did not think Castaneda. And they, the voices themselves said, forget Castaneda. We have nothing to do with him. So Federico was terrified He's frightened, but my presence is a solace to him and, and comforting. And, of course, then I now begin a life in Rome. We work on several projects together. Finally, he does his last film, The Voice of the Moon, which he interjects his interpretation. But before the film comes out, he does um, with Milo Manada and several uh, to satisfy, because the, the voices did not go away. Just because he went back to Rome, they were insisting he tell his story. So, in the Corriera della Sera, every day, front page of the largest newspaper, the whole page was t- newspaper was taken up giving snippets of this journey, and it lasted for six six series of different parts of the story. And it became such a cult success that then Milo said, "Let me do a." you know, in uh, another magazine called Colter Mappesi. is a graphic um, magazine that does, you know, all different kinds of um, uh, graphic novel artists um, and tells their stories and whatnot. So, because Milo is so highly regarded, he got, it's again, sectional series. Again, the story more being fleshed out with illustrations from Milo Manada Colto this, this Fellini story further devolved, not just, you know, this brief, white brush strokes that he did in the Corriere della Sera, and again, the cult is even building. People who are fans of Colto they're buying the magazines, and everyone wants more and more. To the final conclusion, he does a graphic novel with it all together, and it's beautifully done. The artistry is beautiful of course he has me running around naked the whole time I, you know but that's funny so okay what can I say and in this graphic novel he says this is a true story so he thought that finish that the graphic novel is out and this goes on from okay so the story happened in 84 we start doing um, the graphic novel in 86 and then by 1988, he does his last film, The Voice of the Moon. And, and by the way, I'm there throughout, and Federico, I was like his token uh, sidekick because he'd go out and he'd always take me along with him. And um, such a such a blessing and an honor. And of course, the voices never stopped. And they kept trying to prove to him that they were powerful. And the more they tried to prove it, and to using myself, the more that he became very weary and afraid of it. For example, at one time, um, I was, you know, I still flew back and forth from LA until I really got situated because I still had to organize my life, close all my apartment down in Los Angeles, sell my car and such that they, the voices called and they said, we told the green one not to go to this place. And we warned him. And you tell him. Call him now and tell him we warned him. And they hung up. Or disconnected. And I picked up the phone. I dialed Rome. And there's no ring. All of a sudden, he a voice breathing very heavily. So I go, Federico? And he said, Christina? What are you doing on the phone? I said, well, the voice has just told me to tell you that they warned you and he starts crying he said i just fell down the stairs and i'm picking up the receiver to call the ambulance and it's you in this moment <laughs> telling me and come come back you must come back I, I this is too scary for me so that's why i kept going back because it was almost as if every time i was away from him he, he felt more threatened so i felt like i was a little protecting angel and of course he loved that i did tarot, astrology and Ching, and ruins So, you know, wherever I was, pull out the cards, do the cards, do the, and and he was so generous to like show me off to all his, to all the public and the people of Italy. And I did all the television shows. So it was a huge success in some way. But, you know, I had to be very careful how far I told the story because I'm already sounding like a space cadet. And that's just, as I said, an example. But in one of the times that, I'm always taking directions from the voice. Um, um, and they told me that we can call them. It was them. It was a collective energy. It wasn't one. And they, they, they referred to themselves as a we, a collective we. But they wanted us to call them you. And at one point, they said to me, you can ask a question. Now, up until that point, I never asked a question. I just listened and did whatever they told me. But I was kind of thrown aback Oh, I could say something. Oh, my God, my brain's thinking, do I ask about Jesus? Do I? What do I ask? And I just said, is there reincarnation? He said, yes, there is reincarnation. Most of us reincarnate hundreds of times. And in fact, you have reincarnated hundreds of times, and you are one of us, Christine. Oh, you. you are one of us. So we'll always be there with you and for you. Wow. So I was like, what do I do with that information? Okay. Well, that doesn't surprise me the way my, I didn't think I was from this galaxy. Mark Lord's Palladium, that was, you know, the dog star in the binary star system. I always felt attracted in that direction. So, but that was the kind of information I was getting. Another time they said to me that I should um, go to Rome. Well, they didn't say Rome. They called and they said, We want you, it was like in a few days from now, it was like 10 days. We want you on this date to stand in front of Cafe Greco at midnight. And they hung up. So, Cafe Greco, the only Cafe Greco is in Rome. So, okay, I guess I got to fly back to Rome. Because I was flying back and forth. And, you know, right after I first met um, met, uh, October of. 84, was flying most of the first three four months of 85, I flew back seven times. And I was running out of money, I wasn't working, and so here I'm supposed to fly back, midnight at Cafe Greco, I'm thinking, what the, so out loud I said, how do you think I'm supposed to go and get the money, you know, and I'm just talking to myself in my apartment by myself. And no sooner do I say, how do you think I'm supposed to get the money, and where, is it, where am I going to get paid for this? My doorbell rings. Now you can't get to my doorbell because there's a security gate. So I open my gate, my door, and I look and there's nobody. So I wonder how that somebody rang my doorbell, but I look down, there's a shoebox. I open the shoebox, there's $1,500 of cash. What? Well, of course, that's my money to fly a round trip to, (laughs) to, to go back to Rome. That is this is the kind of stuff. This was going on nonstop. This was and I was getting three four phone calls a day. I'm surprised I have some sanity left but I think that apart from what they told me if if, if I believe you know if, I, if I'm with, one of them or not at my human logic I just said okay you know I have a big spirituality I have a big curiosity I have a big metaphysical studies. I know I'm in a situation that is one of a lifetime, and it would take, they probably picked me because I'm the most open to it. I didn't resist. It was scary, but I didn't resist. So, of course, now I fly back, and now I'm standing, and I wore a black trench coat, and it's midnight, and I'm standing on um, the street right in front of um, Cafe Greco, and all the shutters are shot, uh, shut. And the streets on uh, Rome were, there was not a soul. It was the quietest night. And I felt like, oh my God, I'm like a cauldron, on the standing streets. I just felt so strange to be there. So I kind of arched my back into the the niche of the doorway to not be like a police or anybody would come down. What am I doing standing there? But anyway, I'm sitting there and it's exactly midnight. And I look and I see someone turn the corner. And walk towards me about four blocks away. They can't see me, but I see, you know, the human coming closer, closer, closer. Their head was down, their hands were in their pocket. They were kind of just walking and towards me. And I look and I realize it's Andrea, the blue one. So as it gets closer, I now step forward, and it's now a familiar face. And I, I go, Andrea, what are you doing here? What, Christina? What are you doing here? I said, the voices told me to come because I. I didn't know what, but there you are. I said, oh, my God. He goes, no, this can't be. You, you, you followed me. I said, no, I didn't follow. What are you talking about? He goes, "I'm nobody knows that I'm in Rome. I lost, I forgot where I parked my car. I've been combing the streets, trying to remember where I parked my car, and I was coming up here. So this was, again, another, these impossible scenarios that these voices were creating for us. So I said, well, you obviously can't drive back to Milano stay in my hotel. We have to talk about this. Apparently, they wanted you and me, the blue one, the writer, and me, the muse, to to talk. And, of course, every time he went to the bathroom, the voices were called, and they'd say, stop talking too much. Be simpler. You're not convincing him. You know, so then they'd come out of the bathroom. They said, the voices just called. No, they didn't. Yes, they did, because he was the doubting Thomas of the the truth. And um, lo and behold, he, the next day drives back, and I was just exhausted, I, you know, he he just thought I was, he didn't know what to believe of me, but it was so unusual but this goes, this is just a sample of um, the constant arrangement of connecting and connections that they insisted upon me, and I never quite understood what they really wanted, other than to support Federico in whatever project he's going to make and to be the receptive one, to get some kind of understanding because this is what I had to either be a voice in the story or, or, um, or an inspiration of some, or an interpreter, you know, as, as like when I do readings, you know, I'm inter- interpreting the metaphysical uh, mathematics of the, uh, sacred geometry, all the things that are in the, the arts, so the metaphysical arts that I must translate which is what I do when I do readings. So following shortly after, while I'm in Rome, I am taking a nap and I'm awoken from the nap, but I can't move and I can't open my eyes. But I see I'm surrounded by this alien face, this face shifting with big eyes. It was like, you know, when you look at um, Mercury or an oil spill on the wet streets, it kind of shifts blue and green and, kind of like silvery blending and that's what their faces were. And I was so terrified, they let me see them. And I, I I and I could see them look into my soul. And they waited for me to calm down before I could actually open my eyes again. And I was like, oh my God, that's oh my God, they're so scary looking for my humanness And other times I would see like like colored energy, you know, in corners, or and I always took that they, they're there because I'm getting this sensation. And several times I'd be sleeping, and I could feel them pushing down on me. And ah, oh, those were so scary. So it was a very poltergeisty feeling. And of course, this is now, by the way, from 1984, upon first hearing, till 1988 my last phone call but I didn't leave Federico's side until he passed so this is a nine year talk about a you know Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds experience (laughs) but it opened up so many ideas in my mind that, or I should say reconfirmed that we are not alone and of course Federico struggled with it enormously he didn't want to believe it He, he just thought it was someone joking on him but we, I just will not believe that this could have been Casaneda or his tricksters. Even though, could Don Juan or anyone be that powerful? I don't know. But that is, I'm just giving you it in a nutshell before you ask questions or such. But as you can see, when I, when Federico passed and I returned back to America, I knew that I that I could not leave this planet Earth without. Telling this story and I knew I'd write a book I tried with the graphic novel for the first several years I was here I went to every major studio from Disney on down to show them the graphic novel to show them the script that I put together and oh this is lovely can I keep the graphic novel thank you thank you but this is too weird and anyway animation is for kids and at that time I was thinking 3d backgrounds 2d characters they had not really perfected 3d characters in, in you know in 1992 93 you know it was very stiff looking but i thought it didn't matter you know and then i met with Rob batchke from Cool world who mixed real life and animation and he said if my movie's a big success i'll visit yours and of course his wasn't so you know finito that story and it went on that Pretty much everyone knew in town that had, that I had this project. Because they all wanted to meet me. They all wanted to hear my story. And they all probably thought I was nuts. Um, and nobody took up. Only Marty Scorsese was probably the one I was hoping the most, who met with me several times. But I, he wasn't going to do it either. And I just felt like I was beating a dead horse. Until I wrote my book. Because as I said, you know, I don't know if anyone's going to make a movie or the movie even though there are now many attempts now you know, for such a movie that I would think, like a Tim Burton or, or Scorsese or Jim Jarmusch or, um, or David Lynch, you know, somebody who could see, you know, take that, you know, go on that ride and it still might happen, you know, one never knows, but that the writing of the book, the graphic novel, I also put the last film that I worked behind the scenes that Fellini did. I filmed that and I put that on YouTube just so that everyone can look at. It. So if you're on YouTube, just search Towards the Moon with Fellini, Towards the Moon with Christine Englehart, and please enjoy the the document the mockumentary, because it's a film within a field film, and we're Trying to search for an answer of the voice behind the moon and capture the moon. So, um, so ladies and gentlemen, I just wanted to let <laughs> you know if there's any questions. So, um,
2: wow.
3: You know, over myself, but one yes. last thing before, um, th- that just to kind of encapsulate uh, one of the times near the end after, I guess in 1989 90, I'm, st- I'm in Rome. Federico calls me to his office you know I, I see him two or three times a week we talk every day but this time he said I have some people in my office you have to come right now come immediately well, okay so I dropped everything and I get to his office and there's some you know I walk in and there's a group of people there there's six people three men three women and they're all dressed in impeccable suits they're dressed impeccably you know women are in business suits men they all look like lawyers and doctors and I sit down next to Federico and the man introduces that this group are the new seers that they um, don't want Castaneda to take over they want that Federico and I become the new seers Federico takes Carlos' place and I take Carol's place and that we become the new seekers the new seers and the new naguas and go to Mexico and, and finish the cult that Carlos started. And we're like, no, thank you, no, thank you. And they were really insistent. And we're like, no. And, and basically, we have to just pack up and disappear. And nobody would know where we gone. And I did not think that was great, certainly for the ego. But thereafter, when just my, when I left that office that day, thinking, how strange is that? That six people, for the next two, three months, I thought they were trying to kidnap me. They would just randomly peer, jump out of the bushes or show up at the supermarket. They were following me in many different ways. And that was strange until I just said, I'm not going with you. Forget it. And I, 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 I eventually didn't leave the house. I was, I was truly afraid to be kidnapped. And um, never to hear from them again. So that in a nutshell, obviously there are so many jewels that are in the book. But
0: you can see, with a story like that, you couldn't just forget about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, one thing that is, is, is striking about your story, and, and, you know, it it really hits home even more hearing it f- straight from you, is, uh, is your and everyone's kind of willingness to hear these voices and just go along with what they're to what they're telling you to do, and like you're just compelled to unquestionably follow what they're saying. Like what well, I'm Federico pretty sure you
3: was because he was searching for the movie, and he created an entourage. And if he told the entourage to do it, they did it. And from his entourage, they were not, the entourage was not getting the calls. It was Federico, then his writer Tulio, and it was myself. And once you hear these voices, you're so awestruck. I was the one. Federico went because he thought it was a project. Then once he went back to Rome, he was, you know, and he finished the graphic novel, he thought, I'm done with this story. But they were hounding me, and I felt that I couldn't just walk away and go back to normal, to my Los Angeles life. I wanted this life in Rome, and Federico was such a magical person, and he was... So delightful, and I made my—I made a career in Rome. So, um, it was truly myself that made the biggest upheaval. So, between Federica myself, um, yes, to your to your uh, remark about really being the most open to follow him, but there were more people reluctant of our group than willing.
1: What happened with the reluctant people? Did they still keep? getting calls? Oh, they or? thought
3: they thought it was Castaneda, like, uh, Andrea and Maurizio, they, uh, they, well, they thought it was Castaneda. So they thought that I was just, they didn't know what to make of me. Andrea wrote a book called Yucatan, and, but he characterized us all, and my name in his book is Ricky, um, and he made me a car salesman. I, I mean, I don't know why he, he, he felt, um, that he had to tell it um, like if it was like a made up story without giving anyone's real names or personalities but Federico knew it was him and he was very upset and they ended their friendship over that book. Um, Maurizio was uh, upset because he spent so much money to do all these travels and trips and no movie came about it and his father, Alberto Grimaldi who entrusted his son to get this movie off the ground with Fellini didn't so he was just thinking, we're all a bunch of wackadoodles. Um, <laughs> and Sybil was out of the picture, and Tulio was probably the only one since he heard it who thought there was something. But he didn't have to go anywhere. It was really me who went out on a limb and, you know, gave up my life. The Nico made a trip, I, I transformed my life. Wow. I mean, how, could, how could I not? If you can, I, I couldn't just bounce back to normal and pretend it didn't happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's. What and she was.
3: that was Jerry DeMarlo. She said you're going to live in Rome, and I lived and I loved Rome. And I became Italian citizen. I speak the language fluently, and uh, it was magical. It was a magical time of my life.
1: I think one thing we can all agree with listening is that Italian names are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> What is the names, <laughs> just as you're saying, I'm like, I think that the fact that there's like the Italian names in the story are, just make it even better, uh, you know?
3: Yes, and of course, that's where I met Eugenio, and, um, who was an assistant to uh, Federico, and um, we had a love story in, uh, in this crazy story, and to this day, we are the best of friends, um, he just finished in 2019, uh, Felline Finemai, which has not been released, and Felline Finemai, Finemai means never-ending, like as it, you could say Fellini forever, mm. and um, the film is wonderful, well, again, just kind of retracing Federico as a great artist and his projects and his film, and of course, you know. If, in this Fellini I of course, then there's, there I am saying, okay, now if you're going to talk about Fellini's life and stories. This is one story not to forget. Probably, you know, he had, you know, Diano di Mastorna, that was an unfinished project, and this one. You know, these were his unfinished projects. Um, and maybe one day a big Fellini fan or an artist who will pay... Respect will um, to tell those unfinished stories. I thought that I would. But, you know, Hollywood is very tough. Hollywood's very tough. I pitched this story so much. Um, I gave every penny I had to to try to get intellectual properties off the ground. And, and, you know, you can't give up in this business. I mean, that's why I never think that it's ever gone or dead or died, but that it is timing, just like our timing. That you brought me down into your bunker, I <laughs> would be more honored to, to meet esoteric people. Yes. Yeah, and by it's... the way, I do continuous readings. I um, it's my gift has not dried up or stopped. If not, I I do large amounts of people. I um, I even hired an agent so that I can do big events. And you know, I can do. I, I usually do between Halloween and New Year's Eve up to a thousand people regularly. Um, I just love it. I just have that gift. There's something that when I go into that frame of mind where I'm not about me, I'm just in that receptivity of connection and, and truly looking at sacred geometry with the symbols of cards, tarot, and numerology, does patterns. And if I see it in my mind's eye, I must say it because that's when the magic happens.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, so, like, all this time has passed... All these things happen to you and to and to others what do you th- like what do you think that these voices were where are they coming from and what did they want I know they told Federico that they they wanted him to do what he was meant to do but like w- did he ever really figure that out and well, do you, you know
3: what I mean um, Federico had an enormous um, aptitude and hunger for the metaphysics Spirituality, from Juliet to the spirits, from his own psychedelic tri- trips with taking um, LSD and mushrooms. So he he was a far out, way ahead of his time, kind of a director in the first place. So he himself was open to it, but he was also someone who, again, you know, liked to be the puppet master, and you know, he didn't like anyone telling him what to do. And but in his great talent, he was extremely sensitive to taking like church and the Catholic and you know all the symbolisms that he does in his films, and to kind of give it an, another perspective, you know, see outside the box. Um, so he's a great inspiration to artists in many ways, and he's a visionary. So that his path was, I guess, that open that he could have conjured something and i don't mean conjured like a negative spirit and the only way i can describe who and what you is because i don't see them as a worm. because they and they told this to tulio because tulio right away um in his lack of fear of them or something said you know what are you guys what is this what is going on here And they said, you know, we've never been born, we've never died. We're an energy outside. And for us to make a voice, for us to speak using these, uh, the telephone, it takes enormous amounts of energy. It's almost as if an entire group of energy has to come together to make this phone call. And it's a collective mind that passes the message through. So, I almost, my gut feels as, as if they are interdimensional. If they're not, they're not, um, because remember, they made things move. They could get into my right. mind. They made things reappear and disappear. They, they could, they were outside of time because they knew two weeks before Andrea was going to walk down the Via Condotti. They knew two weeks before... They knew that moment, that at uh, the timing of me calling for the goes, he fell down the stairs, etc. And there's so many more little jewels. So, uh, to me, they were outside of time. So that's the fourth dimension, and they could do, that. Was that dimension? So as I started really paying attention, I felt that they were dimensional beings. If they've never lived or died, they're not on the human flesh. They ne- they don't have eyes, ears, nose, and yet what they appeared to me. It was a shape-shifting, humanistic, like with a head and shoulders, but you know, I didn't see a real body. I just saw like this cloaking, shape-shifting energy. So I felt that that is where they are. And so, by you know, if you, ladies and gentlemen, in, in your own esoteric hunger, you know, I, I, I know that there is more than three dimensions. We know time. We know there's so much microwave, microwave. these are things we cannot see, just how our even cell phones are working is, you know, a miracle, you know, how magnetic energy works, there's things that we, we don't know, we, we didn't invent, we discovered, we, we, we have happen stanced upon it, so I'm, I'm I'm still believing that they are, hopefully, you know, I, I, if they've never born or died, they they are still wherever they are, and, and I felt in writing this book it was my way of bringing the colors back together. You know, obviously, some Tulio's no longer with us, and, and uh, Federico's no longer with us, you know, what, whomever is, but you know, sometimes it does take someone to show a, a show a light upon that maybe there is a greater research to happen. Um, when I saw Interstellar, and you know, there's a couple of movies that I've watched that, you know, other great directors were thinking, you know, trying to tell stories from the fourth and fifth dimension. I thought, oh, we're getting closer. The the the, hmm. the artistic mind is getting closer to tapping into what this could be. So it's not so, and, and therefore, if it's dimensional, we don't need a spaceship to come from the 80s to the United States of America or wherever if you're interdimensional that might be where the black hole exists you know you know. this is all that I don't know but it has me so curious to meet like minded people who are themselves saying what could this be and what did Carlos Castaneda tap into he himself had no magic but maybe Don Juan and the, and the, and the Toltecs speaking of the nagua and the tonal and all that was truly magic at that time, because you know, there is magic. You know, centuries before us there's been tribes of people who were, were able to feel the nature and, you know, if you're into alchemy if you're able to blend things and, and do remote viewing, you know, there there's all we're just have we're just so much in the kindergarten of spirituality as humans. I, I'm just trying to get into some kind of first grade. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, so and you... tell
3: me, in in your regards, what are some of your metaphysical understandings? Because I do think it takes it takes an understanding to be open to phenomena.
0: Yeah, I began investigating the paranormal on in, a, in an official capacity after moving into a, 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 a very active house, um, actually with TJ, who's, who's here also. Um, and he, you know, I don't think was there as much as I was, didn't experience as much as I did, but, you know, that sort of sent me down this path. Like, I need to investigate this, like, officially and figure out what's going on. So I joined a group. That's where I met Beth. And Beth came into the group as a, as a a from the psychic medium angle. I came into the group from, like, the official, like, a, a tech angle I'm gonna set up equipment I'm gonna like you know in, you know record EVPs I'm gonna catch something on camera you know use equipment and prove or disprove this blah 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 whatever so that's how I came at it um and oh, then I started good. investigating with Beth who was a medium and really wasn't interested in any of the equipment actually like she would just walk in and she would honestly be experiencing stuff in the space like on the drive over there she'd already be like writing stuff down um and so she's the one that would interpret stuff like I was experiencing. I'd walk into a room and all of a sudden I'd be like, well, I feel like dizzy all of a sudden. What that hell my problem? And she's like, oh, yeah, you feel that too? Yeah, you spirit just, just walked by or something, you know, and would describe it and all the stuff. And then lo and behold, we'd go back later and I would replay or my recorder and the, like, there was the voices of a person that matches the exact description of this person she was talking about. So,
3: and wow. yep. so she,
0: like, brought me along to the more psychic Yes. angle of things, well, I went into it, I was, I thought originally that was all bullshit to be totally honest. She made a believer out of me just because she like would talk about stuff and describe a woman and then like later on I would play a recorder back and there's a woman's voice like answering us that we didn't hear, you know, with our ears <laughs> and and I look into the historical records of the building and like oh, there's that woman by the exact name, the exact time period, like that I, blew my mind. And so, yeah.
3: Now, this is interesting because Exactly with what you're saying. So, you know, at working, for example, on the, on the, if you want to say ghost realm, meaning that once living uh, beings who are trapped in a dimension, because where are they? You know, they made the painting move across the floor, or the floors creak, or the voices. So, see, this is where I think this fourth or fifth or some dimension that a living a once living is now kind of stuck there for whatever reason, you know, talk about energy because it's all energy. And so here, what I was dealing with, they were not born on this earth, but they can move from that kind of dimension where phenomena can happen.
2: Oh yeah. I think, um, Christina, what you experienced is way beyond just talking to the dead, talking to spirits. Um, you, that you are, you know, the people that are communicating with you, you know, by the telephone, they're definitely from, like you said, a different dimension, um, coming through the wormhole, whatever they, whatever they, how they did to contact you is definitely not spirit of love ones who have crossed over. It's more along, um, we listen to you talk. It's more along like, you know, the UFOs and another different dimension higher than the spirit realm. But now
3: mind you, esoteric readings since I've been reading since I'm a child I've had many ghosts appearing to me I've had many phenomena like um, I always felt the energy of maybe something watching but ghosts um, liked me a lot I would I've, I've seen so many of them that I thought that I must be a magnet to it but then yeah. I i also delve into the psychic phenomena and um, just so often and just you know doing readings for people. And then I'll say, oh, I have to tell you something. I don't know why I have to tell you this. There's a message. And, and my ears will start ringing or I'll start feeling something. And yeah. people will start crying. Goes, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so forth. so mm-hmm. I just feel that it's like, it's like you're a gymnast, you know. You run the track or you swim or, you know, I, I do the different... I'm in the sport of being open and receptive like yourself. Um, but apparently that I had been that far open that um that I was pulled into this energy yeah Um, here's another delightful story so at one point I went into hiding I, I was going back and forth and I didn't want the voices to know where I was so I told no one I got my didn't ask for the money got my own you know plane ticket I didn't tell anyone Federico no one that I was coming I flew in I changed hotels several times then when I finally took this old hotel with a switchboard, I changed rooms several times, so I'm thinking, great, nobody followed me, nobody knows where I am. As soon as I, the door closed from the doorman dropping me off, the phone rings, and it's them. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs>
0: oh, my God.
3: And they were giving me, telling me what to do. Mm. I had up the phone, I, because I saw a switchboard, aha. So I called down at the operator, and I said, I just got off the phone with a call. Can you tell me if this call came from within the hotel and I was followed or it was a connection from an outside line? And the operator said, I never connected your room to anybody.
0: Oh, for God's sake.
2: <laughs> oh, geez. Oh. Wow. So I'm, you know, I'm, that's why I'm
3: like, I'm so surprised. I, I have a job. I'm normal. I, <laughs>
2: but, you know, I, can't, I can't pretend that
3: didn't happen. Right, right. This, this is thing.
2: You can't explain it. You really can't. It's you just some things I think we're not supposed to know.
3: But I do believe that there, I'm not alone. That there are other people who have oh, yeah. an understanding, like yourselves, who pick up the spiritual, who pick up the phenomena, who might have had. Now, I've met, I've been in you Parasol and I've been to some of the cliques where the people meet with alien, you know, contacts. So I have a bunch of people who had me speak in front of them and um, you know they're all you know the spaceship came to get them and did this and I said well I didn't have a spaceship but I was you know I, I, I was taken I was taken but I, I didn't feel or see a spaceship. I was taken I was maybe brought and leaned into a dimension so I could feel what it is to be almost out of body. So I feel I was there. And um, every so often, uh, and I don't know if it's just my own meditation or my own just, you know, I like to sometimes meditate that I'm up in this stratosphere and I'm kind of floating around looking down on Earth, you know, just hanging out, looking at Earth and space and sky. And I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There's a lot of other surfers up there, you know, doing the same thing. So there are like-minded people who... Need to get their minds off the earth because the earth is scared. The scariest place is right here on earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I agree with that. Yeah. You
3: know, right now, um, the negativity is just. I'm just dumbstruck. Yeah. Um, it's where you always want to get on a spaceship and go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. We're killing this planet. And,
2: mm um, hmm. That's for sure.
3: So, um, yeah. yeah, and i am for my spiritual family, you know, I have my mother and father, and you know, family, but you know, I'm isolated in my spiritual understanding. You know, I, I haven't met anyone, I mean, like yourselves, this is why I, I love meeting with people who are open. Yeah, because I'm looking for that spiritual family because you know, I don't want to be an only child. Yeah, you, you need know, want a family who people yeah. talk about these things. You need I, it, you do very much so. Absolutely. very and, much so and it's interesting that
0: you touched upon just now like this feeling that you may have been taken somewhere but not necessarily on like a ship or whatever but I, I seem to be hearing more and more reports over the years as time goes by I keep hearing more and more often these um, like in Whitley Streber's case for example um, there is the sense in him the subjective sense that he was taken somewhere and that you know the the obvious sort of Association you make right away with oh being taken somewhere you assume aliens, spaceship right whatever but there seems to be the more reports I hear the more there seems to be this is this is taking place on a psychic level and the people that are being quote unquote taken aren't necessarily physically going anywhere but this is like a you know a psychic journey or astral projection or they're being taken they're going somewhere but not necessarily physically because other people are there and they witness them and they saw no you were sleeping in your bed all night. But they'll swear up and down of this immensely vivid thing. They may have bruises afterwards and marks on their skin. Mm. Some evidence that something happened, but they didn't really physically go anywhere. This kind of happened on another level.
3: And it's funny you mention Whitney because when I first came back uh, to the United States and I was walking down the street and I turned the corner and there was Whitney's book, Communion, and I looked at the gray, you know, the cover of the book with the black eyes and the gray, and I, I yeah. jumped back because those were the eyes looking at me. But it wasn't a gray being because it was more shifting, but it was those big reflective eyes that looked into me. So I bought the book, and as I'm reading it, every time he gives a date that he received contact was exactly when I was receiving.
0: Okay, uh, every
3: date Look. in my book, every letter that Federico wrote, every t- every time that I had a connection, was what Whitney had in his book. So I Challenge started thinking, accepted. oh, <laughs> our yeah. Earth. That's what I thought. That's why I thought it was before they told uh, um, that they were before I learned that they were not neither born or such. Um, I thought they, they were aliens. I mean, because you know, before they—I got more information. I thought for sure that, um, like the harmonic convergence. You know, there was at that time in 1984. 1984 was a psychic loaded year. I mean, the, we were doing just before Hands Across America or the world, and but the harmonic conversion really catapulted. There were few opportunities to start the conversion. But 84 really blasted it. And then there was another one in 87. But in that whole time period, the psychic phenomena shot through the roof where people, besides myself, besides Whitney, so there was just a lot of people speaking of phenomena yeah, yeah,
0: that's, um, that's, at that's the a good highest point. level. That's, that's true. That's so I just
3: yeah. thought that there was almost like, if you want to use the word wormhole, that there was something that was opening yeah. up. Uh, but to slide into our reality.
0: Yeah, I was just going to ask you, actually, do you think that this phenomenon was just always happening, but then at that point, for some for some reason our perception, you know, society-wide shifted and then began to notice it, or do you think the activity itself kicked up at that point? Yeah, I, I,
3: I'm just going to say that there was, you know, and it's happened throughout time, from um, the Egyptian times, from the Mesopotamians, from, uh, you know, Lemurian, Atlantean, they were shifts of time here on earth that was in a, some kind of alignment, even the, the star of Bethlehem, you know, whatever that was, you know, I mean, the exact date of when Jesus could have been born or such. You know, there was there was alignments for metaphysical phenomena to directly connect even Joan of Arc receiving her you know there was just throughout history it's not one occasion too we we have hundreds of opportunities like this and I almost as feel as if there is some kind of a light, alignment. and it happens it's not just generational just but hmm. and then we'll have you know warning signs we'll have great warnings you know please you know take care of this planet it's always been a great warning for our world we have had warning signs that we are you know from revelations to nosradamus to look at the world right now i mean i don't know when are we going to start heeding the warning and um and those of us who, who get an inner sensation an inner feeling or get brought into an opening to the dimensions because the dimensions are there but it's, like, it's the alignment or that tapping into. Just like when, when um, Beth, when you do a reading or when any of us are in that space yeah. where it's like you don't know why you're saying what you're saying, but it's just coming out of your mouth. Right. And you know that's when you're on. Yeah. When you think too much, you're off. It's like, I, I I don't know where this is coming from. And usually that's when you're so accurate because... That's a connection. Yeah. Because our brains are all electromagnetic field, and I think that is we. If we remember the lec- um, magnetic electrofield, field, we'll still hold on to it. And I'm telling you, um, the five G and a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world. I think it's 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 shaking it up. I think it's ruining some of the electromagnetic force that was once organic.
2: Your phone. Yeah. But
0: yeah. That's. Yeah. That is. That's a lot of radiation in the atmosphere and we we don't really know oh, what the facts of that are gonna be until yeah you know, a few years go by and then it's like oh is this caused arms to so fall I off. I do
3: hope I do hope some um some great storyteller comes to us and says, um, and let's add to your story.
2: Yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so so we were like talking uh, just ourselves before you before you call, Christina. And we're talking nice. about casting himself and you touched upon this earlier and i just wanted to go back to it because we felt growing up reading these books you may you know, i'm curious to get your take on how those books affected you but we felt that just reading those books just kind of shifted your consciousness to a point just awesome. enough to that you began to notice things and strange things would either begin to happen or you would notice them or
1: yeah, I, I'm curious too like your experience of him because I like that's the thing I've been wrestling with lately because you know there's a lot of lot of shadiness on that you know on that story too and yeah. it and before you know I listened to the trickster I think he was just kind of on this pedestal for me as this enlightened being who had all these answers and yeah. you know and like all the great you know gurus he's a human um you know with flaws and things so I was I was curious I, how long did you guys actually have interaction with him and like what was your take on oh my him
3: how <laughs> minutes, half an hour, Federico was very mad, and wanted him to stop making this this crazy phenomenon, this crazy goose chase, he goes, I don't know what you're talking about, I didn't make any calls, and then there was something that Federico had, a piece of paper, and of course I never, I only saw it once, and I never saw it again, because he took it with him, it was a piece of paper with a mark inside it, it was the strangest thing that he found, it was slipped under his door when he first got to the hotel to make this project. Um, it looked like uh, a handprint inside a piece of paper. I mean, that uh, there was I don't know how it could have been physically done. It was sort of like a holograph inside of just a piece of paper, very strange. He showed that to him and it kind of spooked him. And then another thing I told you um, in, in the book and in the graphic novel, Tiberico meet, met up at the airport and a guy comes up to him and gives him an envelope and then he kind of snaps out of it and he goes, where am I, what am I doing and you are well, in Los Angeles and he goes, how did it get you? so he was at the airport, he didn't even know, it was like he came out of a trance and he left but he left and the he got this envelope and when he opened it up it was a little piece of fabric the size of a stamp and he goes, what the hell is this and Andrea says, oh that's the same pattern of your hat Federico takes off his hat, the inner side of the hat brim had been cut out he fit exactly. Federico said, I never take this. This hat is never out of my sight. So, you know, so, so, you know that's why this is so weird and, and he thought, again, this is all when he was thinking was Castaneda behind it. Now, this I will say. Castaneda to us was an interpreter. He was a student of Don Juan and Don Gennaro, that they were the ones who could pull the strings. And they let him look in like an observer and t- train and teach him like an apprentice would. But he was never a, re- a receiving masterness, but he he, who was sort of an, a participant, an observer, you know, and, and usually under the influence of mushrooms. Could he, like, go that place in his mind? And that's how I always interpreted Casanita. So when I first came a member, I'm already a metaphysical child. So I first picked up his book. I was 12, 13, and I've been closer to 13, but I read it, and I was like, oh, my God. His interpretation of looking like being that apprentice to this sorcery, I just was fascinated. And I was like, oh my, when's the next book coming out? And I, yeah, and everyone I met with at that time, in the 70s, they were like, this Castaneda guy, he's so special because he had a window, he got a perspective into these Yaqui Indians, the Toltecs, their secrets, their secrets, and, um, and the Mayans, and, and just alone to meet Don Janeiro and Don Juan, that he was chosen. They played games on him to show him how ridiculous, you know, certain things are. So he was truly like, um, like a journalist, you know, seeing the story and writing about it, but still on the outside of it, but probably the closest, the closest to the interpreting of this. And that one day, you know don juan and don juan cross over never to be seen again and um so he writes a few more books he's on a roll don juan carlos is on a roll making a fortune too and and a lot of people were calling him you know the people who really knew him they knew he was a trickster and a manipulator and you know had this harem of women and they were all you know keeping him tripped out he, he was not a nice guy and, um, and, and not not a spirit, if you met him, you're like, this guy? He's, like, arrogant, <laughs> overweight, all... I mean, he was the antithesis of what you think would be, like, the Mother Teresa of esoteric nature, you know. But, um, but he could write. He could tell a story. You have to give him credit for that, if it was making it up or not. He knew how to really catapult you into altered states. Yeah, was that a was genius for that. You... I don't take that away from him. If it was true or not, people have made fun of me and said I'm a knucklehead. You know that I was. What was I on when I was having that experience? <laughs> I'm not trying to convince anyone. I'm not making money on it. But um, for all that I'm, you know, upset with Castaneda, he's still, you know, in in the '70s for me, he was the best storyteller. That,
1: yeah, that's the thing we keep coming back to, too, is, like, no matter what, you know, is behind it or whatever, like, the stories, the books were written in such a way that put you in these altered states. Like, we experienced it, you And know? nobody
3: else was, and, 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 you know, the way of the Peaceful War, they all followed, you know, as, you know, mm-hmm. you know being a young apprentice to... He had, he definitely um, opened the minds of many people, and I, I applaud him for that.
0: Yeah, I... But, I... Uh, it had,
3: does anyone read the book the apprentice from amy wallace
0: i've not I read not. that no no
3: amy wallace now she unfortunately she's passed she had as soon as she wrote her book she died short that was one of the things when i knew about amy wallace i thought i was going to tell my great my book and something was bad going to happen to me i didn't believe it i went ahead with it but um amy she was one of his followers, she really was a big follower, she knew, she did drugs with them, she had a relationship with them, she was in his entourage and she, he just messed with her mind so bad you can google her, her book is called The Apprentice by Nimi Wallace died young died at 58 years old or something oh wow strange, uh, strange cancer just, just so bizarre and she writes and Lo and behold, as I buy her book, I'm turning to a page, and there she talks about she's with uh, she's with Carlos, and in walks Federico Fellini with his German American blonde lady with the (laughs) frog ring, and I still have the frog ring, and I'm like, okay, I got, I got. But um, um, it's not, you know, she talks about how devastating to follow him was. Yeah
0: wow yeah i can imagine yeah we were sort of following along with the trickster podcast and just the uh you know the dark sort of cultish aspects of of his of the group and stuff and it, again it's something we hadn't thought about and wow it you know it sounds like it was pretty dark stuff um yeah I that's where have... i we
3: didn't want to have any part of that
0: yeah yeah i don't blame you about that course, but one thing I've, one thing I have thought about is: Do you think that because people that you know, people that were affiliated with Carlos at the college, you know, experienced some strange things around that guy as well, and, and so we're going back and forth and back and forth on one side of the fence to the other, and, you know? Do you think that you know Carlos may have made up the bulk of these stories, but like. But um,
3: I think he did tap into something. I think he met up with enough shamans in the, in the Sonora deserts and spent enough time. I do really believe he did tap into other people's magic and wrote about it, and probably had his own psychedelic interpretation through it and of it, and that was in his mind transported him d- dimensionally, which is maybe what, here is where I could say, here is where I could take the Carlos Castaneda and my story and see where some pattern is, because the voices said it's not about Carlos, don't follow him, yet. but hmm. what he was dealing with, where Don Juan and Don Janeiro were, they were traveling over to a dimension. My voices, I would say mine, the ones I experienced, they were from another dimension. So now you could say, well, wait a minute. You know, there's not one dimension, there's multiples, and there's not just one energy from the other side, there's probably multiples. And so there is where there could be. He's just the author and the storyteller of it, as much as I am of mine. Um, He did it his way, and he's brilliant in one way, but ultimately... He was learning about some kind of dimensional pull from these mentors, if they were real people or not, or if he took just shamans that he met along the way, had a sample of what they were teaching him, and then ran with it and made a story. But he still had a feeling, and and, and it opened up a portal on some level that he might have not even realized. And it's not so much
0: And that, that him, would explain his, his fear he, when, you know, you approached him and Fellini approached him with a voice and he became uncomfortable. That would that would fall right in line yeah, with that. Yeah,
3: he was freaked out by it. I mean, that was so unusual. Now, and, and, and again, if, 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 with your information, take you Carlos out of the picture. He's the storyteller. But what he's telling me was that Juan and Don Gennaro were able to travel into some other realm. And they talked about it. And I think that is the, in 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 many different words the, the the dimension wherever you want to call it the third the fourth the fifth the sixth whatever that shift was that they were receiving from some other place that wormhole I like that idea you know if you want to call it so because you know that wormhole is is accessible anyone who can go that deep or be in the right place at the right time or be in the magnetic pole or be in, in the vortex you know there's different vortexes on the earth that you know you get, you get closer so in that case there's some of there's some people who can glimpse into it and carlos glimpsed enough to write uh, to go off and tell great stories Using symbolisms as uh is what fellini was being at the right place at the right time being, trying to be pulled into something to tell also be a great author of a story chuck fellini was reluctant he didn't want to be told what to do
0: hmm interesting very interesting so
3: that, i think that is. um and you can even say Jesus Christ came and some of the great metaphysicians they came from this this dimension where, you know, this this voice, inner voice was giving a message insightfulness of transformation.
0: That's a good point. You
3: know, magical realism
0: to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I and mean, when you draw the distinction between, you know, these people that carlos is writing about and these things that they were supposedly doing in this book but then yeah. you and fellini are literally experiencing that same stuff but
3: yeah for it, real if like, it's a unified field that's if you use the word unified field we just have to we can come at it from all different angles and each have our own interpretation of that and at the end of the day we're kind of talking about the same thing with different perspectives.
0: Hmm. Hm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, you could say that about a lot of religions, you know, that are exactly. essentially saying oh the same thing, God. just cultural yeah. differences and so forth. Yeah. Oh, for sure.
3: Well,
0: that that was that was incredible. I was looking forward to this interview for a long
1: time. Yeah, as well. uh,
0: yeah
3: that right. was amazing. Well, our paths keep crossing <laughs> if you're ever on the west coast. <laughs> and I'm, on the, I'm in Pennsylvania right now. Oh, that's close. I'm, I'm visiting my mom.
0: Nice. Oh, yeah. And, Tell um, mom happy birthday.
3: Thank you. I shall. I shall. Well, so, ladies and gentlemen, um, is there anything that I can poor or pun?
0: Any other questions, uh, you guys? I don't think, think so. Bad. It's pretty That's all well, I'm <laughs>
3: always going to searching because we Yes. Show. and your and your show must continue to meet people who have um we've had a glimpse into something magical.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I want to I want to thank you christina for for your time and coming on i know that you're in town for uh for your mom's birthday and stuff and so i really appreciate awesome. you taking the time and sitting down with us this is this is the story that's been fascinating us uh, i mean for years with castaneda and now you and Fellini brought into this it's just an amazing story it's just phenomenal
1: yeah when we were listening to the uh <laughs> the thing about the you know many lives of castaneda like whether or not he made all that stuff up or whatever like it's like the real stories are weirder yeah then uh,
3: no. you know it's
1: and that was what for me listening to that when it started talking about you know you and Fellini and, and all that was what really was like that's what really got me and I was super excited to have this interview with you as well to actually talk to you the person who actually experienced that stuff is <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's off the hook it's off the hook and, <laughs> and you can't forget it
3: you just can't no. you go on with your life and you have to know i want to inform people that there is something greater there has to be faith and to get us through you know if anything i want to help people make the most of this lifetime because just to be here is a magical moment and not everyone's kings and not everyone's peasants you know we all get to be a different whatever we we all have something to offer hmm.
2: and christina do you have a facebook page or a website
3: i have a website i have uh, christineenglehardt.com i have towardsthemoon.com i have uh, Englehart facebook i have uh, instagram and tiktok both are at towards the dot period moon so i use a lot of towardsthemoon the moon and, and on youtube the film towards the moon
2: oh wonderful and
3: you can add my name and then my books towards the moon
1: we're looking at it right
2: now. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we have your book right now. So yeah, we will we'll be following you. I know. I will be following you. <laughs> oh, <okay.
0: laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. And I'll make sure that I'll put all the links to the sites that you, you made sure you sent it to me in the email. I'll make sure that all those are listed on the uh, event, the uh, episode page, so that everyone, yeah. that, you know. Tunes in for the episode. We'll see see the links and I'll follow
1: on everything but TikTok. That's the one <laughs> I've been sucked into. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah but thank you. This, this has been fascinating and I think you are fascinating and your oh, are you amazing. To reading,
3: I would love
2: to do oh, I, I okay, we can do an exchange reading. Yeah. I would love that. <laughs> I feel like a Zoom thing. That'd be cool. Yeah, I've seen spirits since I was 4, so Oh, lovely. Long time.
3: Lovely. Yeah,
0: so Wonderful. again,
2: Yes, that'd be great. I would love that. I'd be honored. Thank you. To to my pleasure, my pleasure. have a reading from you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will well, I'll blessings. give you her email so you can be mm-hmm. in touch.
3: Oh, yes, please. Blessings, blessings, namaste, and yes. I, Namaha. I know our pets will cross.
2: Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Many blessings and take care and happy birthday to your mom.
1: Have an awesome night. You Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thanks for Bye-bye staying. Bye bye.